this is why I got into this this particular subject. So I went to a seminar at Oxford, all, all, all Souls College, a very traditional college, you know, sort of open paneling. It's the wealthiest, you know, one of the wealthiest college in, in Oxford. And this queer criminologist gave this crazy talk about how transphobic it was for these dissident feminist groups to not want the rapist, Karen White, in the women's prisons. And it's like, even the most misogynistic, hardcore, you know, like, right. hard, and yet you as a sort of queer criminologist as saying that it's terrible for these terrible dissident feminist groups to publicize. And she said, hey, she had a trigger warning because Fair Play for Women had a picture of this unshaven, pudgy, really tough look, rough looking bloke on, on their, their little leaflet. And they said, meet Karen. You know, do you want Karen in a women's prison? And Karen was a rapist and had been put in the women's prison where you get sold, sexually assaulted prisoners. And so the, this criminologist said, you know, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. You know, this is a horrific transphobic materials poster that was produced by this terrible group. And, you know, this, this trans woman is not shown, you know, like, what is this, is this bloke? Like, it's a horrible, you know, like really evil, nasty bloke. Why are you supporting him, you know, as, as a queer woman? Like, what, what, what's, you know, and that just still, I still can't quite fathom that. You're choosing the worst kind of men to support uh, you know. and I mean you know and you could, you could have said this person is not really trans or there are going to be some exceptions and you know 99% of trans people are nice and peaceful trans women and that they should be women's prison but maybe this 1% shouldn't I mean there are lots of ways in which you could but she was like she was carrying the logic the, the ideology to you know, and give her credit you know she was carrying it to its, its, its absolute absurdity of the pure kind of well he he, he calls himself a woman you are about to embark upon the great crusade. The only the eyes of the world are upon you. Hi, this is Wesley Yang. You're listening to the Year Zero podcast, which is hosted at Substack, where listeners can support this work that I'm doing. WesleyYang.substack.com. Your task will not be an easy one. Ahead will be long. We're going to make sure the society wins. So I'm here with uh, Oxford professor of sociology, Michael Biggs, and a term I often use to describe the field of gender medicine and the movement that it's connected to is a kind of twilight zone life on reality, uh, wherein normative truth-seeking practices have been entirely subsumed by... um, an activist sensibility uh, in order to manufacture what I refer to as an astroturf pseudo-consensus, no more so and no more distressingly so than in the field of uh, medicine. Um, uh, Professor Biggs is um, not a medical uh, professional, but he's a person uh, well-versed in quantitative methods of social science and um, and entered into the debate when he discovered something that uh, Dr. Julie Mason um, downstairs was just documenting herself, which was discovering the twilight zone like unreality into which the field had plunged. Um, some of it is self evident to almost anyone. Um, Colin Wright just made a comment downstairs where he was discussing. Uh, uh, a recent publication in the New England Journal of Medicine, so among the most prestigious journals in the United States, that made the facially absurd argument that uh, that a that a gender that a sex marker um, doesn't provide any useful information to clinicians 
um, and that actually inflicts emotional or existential harm to the authentic identity of trans and non-binary identified people, and that therefore one's gender identification should be what is put into one's medical records and, you know, um, uh, exhibiting the, you know, the incredible uh, hacking uh, of the, of our reality sensing system um, to a degree almost unprecedented, I think, perhaps in, in all of the history of modern medicine. And uh, this is a subject that you um, became aware of at a certain point and uh, made some very important interventions. In. So could you just kind of recount how you became interested in the subject and, uh, and what you found when you turned your attention to it? Sure, yes. I uh, first, I mean, I suppose I first maybe I saw on Twitter uh, after I became some, somewhat skeptical about some of the transgender uh, claims, but I saw on Twitter some feminists or some you know, people saying, "Oh, they're, they're giving the same drugs to kids as they as they give to castrated sex offenders." Yeah, and so I thought that's clearly not that's clearly wrong. There must be some you know absurdity. It's clearly wrong. And then I discovered it was the same drug in America. It's Lupron. It's a gonadotropin releasing hormone agonist, which is a sort of pu- used for puberty blocking. And then yes. I thought, well, there must be a different dose. Yeah. So obviously you're not going to give the same dose. It must be one tenth and one hundred. Uh, so it's very misleading to say it's the same. You know. But of course it's the same. You know, I did the research and, and found out it was the same dose. And so then uh, it just seemed so counterintuitive to me that you would give uh, the same those same drugs. Um, and so then I looked into the evidence, and of course the evidence comes from the Dutch. And I read the two sort of seminal uh, Dutch articles that were published by you know quite serious clinicians, well-respected clinicians from the Netherlands. And I, my reading of those was, was that there was very little, actually very little positive evidence, in particular because, for example, in one of the, the studies, they, had, they started off with 70 uh, healthy Dutch teenagers, and they, they killed one of them. So one of them had a death rate over 1%, which they mentioned in the article, but it was kind of, it's very much downplayed. And to me, that was the most salient, <laughs> the salient um, yes. uh, outcome of that, of that experiment. So then I discovered that the, the British, uh, the Jenner Clinic in Britain, had tried to replicate the Dutch results, and then had a press release uh, on their um, on their website. Uh, and this was I was looking at this in 2018. The, the press release was from 2011, so seven years later. And I emailed them and saying, you know, why, what what happened to this this this, this trial of the drug or this sort of a study of the drug, and got no response. And then I started looking into it, and I realised they hadn't published their results. Which, of course, for an academic, that really raises your, the red flag, right? Because you know, if you have good results, you publish them. So the very fact seven years later that you know published the results was made me very kind of suspicious. And then I started digging to look into the results. I found the results, uh, or some of the results, and the results were not good. Uh, and that's clearly why they they hadn't published them. And then yeah, and then I wrote a blog about this and. Uh, uh, featured the newspaper and the BBC, and eventually, um, they, you know, sort of led to the judicial review. Or was one of the things that led to the judicial review in the Kira Kira Bell case, and so eventually the, the data came to light. Um, but they, they only finally published the full data the one day after the verdict in the judicial review. So they kind of had started and deliberately not published it before uh, until the, the court case uh, was was over. So you got access to their data that they had not published? Yeah, well, some preliminary data. Weirdly, they were actually reported to the governors of the of the, the health trust. So it was actually in the published records on, uh-huh. online of the governors. But nobody nobody had ever looked at it. And the, the results were, some of the results were negative, particularly for girls. Uh-huh. And there seemed to be an increase in self-harm after puberty blockers. Um, and so that had been reported to governors. Uh, but nobody else had, had found it. I also found some conference abstracts 
where the, the papers of the, the you know you can't get the papers, but the conference conference abstracts from 2016, where they said we you know the Polly Carmichael, who was the head of the this uh, pediatric gender clinic, said we're not getting the same results as the Dutch. You know, the, the, after one year on blockers, you know some of the girls are actually getting worse rather than better. Um, but but that was not not published. Can, so can you? Summarize uh, the findings of the Dutch study and uh, and and uh, what what raised your questions about it because that study is presented as the sole piece of evidence on behalf of pediatric gender affirming care. Yeah. So the, the what happened in the Netherlands was that they was to essentially create or one of the sources of creating the transgender child because before then medical intervention. For children with gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, whatever you want to call it, was only really started at 18. So yes, you had therapy before 18. There were very few gender, gender clinics uh, for children. But if, if they got any intervention at all, it was sort of psychology, psychological counselling. Any hormones would rel- have to come at the age of 18. And what the Dutch did, they said, we, if we give puberty blockers, we're going to say that puberty blockers are reversible. Uh, so puberty blockers essentially just stop the production of sex hormones. So at the age of 12, uh, as the Dutch would say, we can just stop the production of hormones, of any sex hormones, until the age of 16. So four years, you're going to be kind of in this no man's land, this limbo. Uh, yeah. And then at 16, if you still want them, you can go for the cross-sex hormones. So it was, it was a radically new step in bringing, in bringing the minimum age of medical intervention from 18 down to 12. So that, and, and the idea was that this is very benign, it's, not, it's reversible, uh, so there's a whole sort of series of discursive claims, which is simply not true, but it's reversible, it's a diagnostic tool, um, and it's not, so we don't have to tackle the, the, the thorny issues of consent, can a 12-year-old, and of course, when the, 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 this treatment is being rolled out across uh, in other countries apart from the Netherlands, there's, they don't stick to the minimum age of 12, so it could be, I mean, it could be a, a child as young as eight having yep. to, to make this decision, uh, but the idea is, well, it's reversible. It's a di- just a diagnostic tool, so it's not not a really big deal. We don't have to, to concern about about whether they can consent uh, to what, in effect, because in almost all cases, or the uh, the child who goes on uh, puberty blockers will continue to process hormones and then surgeries, and so in effect, it is the beginning of a of a lifelong process of medicalization. But of course, they say, well, it's it's just just this very trivial, uh, reversible step. They can be they can be changed at any time. And what what information had you gotten about what they were doing? They announced that they were doing it in 2011, and then they yes. allowed some information to trickle out. And that information showed that the girls were getting worse. Mm-hmm. And so what they did, I mean, they didn't really. They just said to the media, and sort of a few years later, they said that it's been a great success. We're rolling this out across all England and Wales. So they declared victory. Yes, exactly. Yeah, before that, yes, before they'd even recruited all the all the the children in the experiment, despite having had contrary results. All before before the contrary results. Okay. And and then the contrary results came in. Yeah, and then it was like, well, we don't really care. (laughs) You know, like, uh, we don't want to... And and remember, of course, I mean, if you want to, um, you know, you have to take into account the fact they're getting huge pressure from parents and kids to offer these treatments. Yeah. So Britain had actually lagged behind other countries in not offering this because it was quite resistant up before 2010. And then there was a huge demand from parents to say, we want these life-saving medications. And some actually children from Britain went over to America, to Boston, 
uh, to get private these these uh, medications privately. So, from the point of view of the gender clinicians, there's a lot of demand, and you know we you know we'll give the, the kids and the parents what what they want. So the Dutch study, um, it was a different cohort than the British study, is that right? Yes, totally. Yes, yes. So the, the kids who went to the Amsterdam Gender Clinic. Yes. And, uh, and yeah. And, and so, so, so they went in the 90s, and they tended uh, to be boys, is that right? Or uh, Well, so the the, 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 the so puberty blockers, the first one was about sort of 1988, but that was sort of very idiosyncratic. So it was used sort of more systematically from the late 1990s, but really it starts sort of in, in the early 2000s where it becomes sort of a part of the policy of the Amsterdam, Amsterdam Clinic. And so the, the cohort uh, that is the sort of the subject of the central study, which supposedly shows the benefits of beauty blockers, they, they were kind of recruited in the early 2000s. Okay. But they were mostly more? Uh, about half and half, I think. Okay. Point. But the, the, the new uh, teen girl... Cohort yeah, yes. had not overwhelmed the. No, that, this was before that. I mean, the puberty blockers came before the, the really big shift. I mean, right. it was already starting to shift, but it has it hadn't shifted. It was um, it was uh, two to one males to females, and then and then that reversed. Yeah, right, exactly. Yes, is that yes, right? Yes, and of course, what's important to emphasize is that it's not that fewer boys showed up to the clinics. It's like increase in boys increased, you know, huge enough hugely, but the girls increased even more hugely. Right. So, so like it's yes, as boys, it's a gender dysphoria has now been greatly increased among boys, but hugely, massively increased among girls. So that's why you get the, the sex ratio. How much awareness did you have of any of this when you? First I didn't. I didn't have any stuff? any idea of it. So in fact, why I got into this whole subject of the trans is because I'd seen in a Guardian art newspaper article, I'd seen increase in number of trans kids, and I hadn't even probably read read the article. And so I gave this as an exercise to my students in the master's degree in sociology at the University of Oxford. We have this little exercise. We give them some phenomena. We say, okay, you're a sociologist. Now explain this. So don't read what sociology, because this is a new thing. or a sort of idiot. You know, you, Your job is just to come up with some ideas. And so we had a good discussion for, I think, an hour or so you know, in class, different ideas. And some as a student had her boyfriend was a, was in school and said, oh, it's a lot of friendship groups that are kind of you know declaring themselves trans. So we talked about you know social networks and so a very very mild um, discussion and then after that an American graduate student came up to me and said things you know things were said in that discussion which should not have been said and yeah that that was the first my first sort of encounter with wokeness if you like that was my first and and then and it wasn't just her it was sort of two two German uh, doc, uh, students also yes. emailed me afterwards and said and for example I said what explains this trend and then said the word trend. You know, is is a taboo word. I'm just sorry. Well, wait a second. The the, the the trend is just a, a line upward or downward on a graph, right? That's, right. that's what, in social sociology. That's what I mean. No, no, it could be. You know, the idea was that it could be saying it's false or it's sort of it's it's not respecting the lived experience of trans people or whatever. So I realised, yeah, that was my first encounter with this kind of student network activism, saying that we couldn't discuss things. And of course, what I said to them is, well, why didn't you raise good, that? Those are interesting points. Just, just raise them in the seminar. Don't come to me as an authority to tell me that I have to police uh, the seminar. So it's, it was obviously this, it was a real cultural clash because in some sense I was seeing a new culture that I had not been aware of uh, sort of coming into, uh, into my classroom. And that's one of the, re- that's the first reason why I got involved in this, this issue because I realized there's something going on here that is different. And the things, you know, there's, there's clearly a climate of opinion where you, a climate of feeling where you can't say certain things. And of course, I'm, as somebody who, whose job it is to sort of look into things and look into truth and look into reality, then I have to, uh, that's my job to sort of probe that. So if you tell me I, do, I can't look into something, that's when I want to look into it. 
Right. So you're kind of uh, fortunate in that this uh, this phenomenon only emerged for you in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you had some awareness of the whatever the Nicholas Christakis meltdown at Yale and. Uh, yes, things suppose, happening. Yes. On but it was in America. But it was in America. It was in America, so, yeah. and it hadn't actually reached exactly. your shores. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's. it's You're not I exactly mean, a patient zero here. But. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, I suppose. It, yeah. You could have after. In retrospect, you look back and you see there were there were sorts of signs. For example, I mean the Charlie Hebdo. I mean, sort of. Sure. Also, before then, I sort of other sort of. Awakening was was sort of Charlie Hebdo. So I, I was a, a devoted subscriber to the London Review of Books, which is the sort of the high class, you know, sort of literary, you know, sort of intellectual magazine. And I remember them. Somebody had written into them after Charlie Hebdo, and it said, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you? You know, sort of saying something about this terrible attack on literary, you know, freedom?" And, and the editor wrote saying, "You know, we, you know, they basically, you know, Islamophobes. They're Islamophobes, and they sort of can't. Somebody was punching up. <laughs> you know, they can't complain about." about being shot because I'm just no, not that I'm exaggerating but it was very much like this is Islamophobia and we're not going to you know the fact that these people were these these you know, literary people were actually killed yes. uh, it's, it's nevertheless it's the important thing is to not you know give, give credence to Islamophobia so that was my sort of previous sort of uh, alienation from that kind of what I saw as my tradition you know my liberal sort of left wing uh, tradition it's like wait a second but you, you're saying that it's all right to, to, to shoot uh, cartoonists <laughs> because you're you know you're in a protected class of, of, of Muslims and you're allowed to uh, yeah so I think that there before but it, so that had sort of already begun to estrange me from that from that from from that uh, that tradition but or that evolving radicalizing tradition. But up until that moment, you had felt that there was a consensus yeah, yeah. within academia about free speech and yes, academic yes, freedom. Yes. And you did not expect it to be infringed upon exactly, yes. in your lifetime. Yes, yes. Because there was no, you know, there, there was no countervailing force mm. that mm. was present very much mm. or to the degree that it would actually threaten your freedom to exactly. yes. investigate something yes. as a tenured researcher mm. At, mm. at Oxford University. Yes, yes. Um, and and uh, so you, you, you were saying, okay, here's, here's this phenomenon mm. we're going to talk about. Mm. Uh, and you're looking at the increasing numbers. Mm. You're looking at the changing gender. Uh, that, the Guardian piece sort of made reference to these things. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, to the changing uh, uh, sex uh, composition. Yeah, yeah, sex yeah. composition of those identifying into mm. trans identity. Mm. Uh, and the kids, on the basis of you know their uh, sociological uh, understanding, they apply their tools mm. to it, and they also were providing some testimony. Because it was contemporaneous to them, um, and they were well, saying there are yeah, these clusters. Yes, we're yes, seeing exactly, these clusters. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and also, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, we're to, I, online media. I can't even remember there's some sort of discussion really, apart from this person who said, right. you know, oh my, my, you know, a woman who said, you know, my, my boyfriend teaches, and, and you can see identifiable clusters. And of course, that networks of, of kids who all of a sudden three of the friends become identified as trans, which of course is we know is true, and of course it's very common with other social phenomena. There's nothing. Nothing bad about saying that that, that happens and through social networks, ideas to right. through social networks. I mean, that's very standard sociology. Sure. So, just on the basis of their own observation, mm. they were manufacturing what would later be published as the social contagion mm. thesis mm. and the ROGD thesis, mm. um, because people see it. <laughs> yeah, it well, is yeah, in fact yeah. happening. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so that was a one-day discussion. You had a little exercise. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then it turned out. 
The, I mean, you remember what the letter said? Were they, they, were um, they monitoring? I, I do. I, I'm sure that there was some uh, that the, there was some sort of exhortation to educate myself. You know, sort of at least <laughs> that was the. I don't know if the exact precise words were used, mm-hmm. but that was the sort of. I could have, that was that. You know, you need to educate yourself. So they were speaking from out of this other consensus. You exactly, had, and yeah. and to have that imposed on you was quite. Shocking. Yes, it was, and it was a culture shock. It was a real culture shock, and of course, partly as a teacher, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, upset or worried. That, you know, I want the students to be happy, and if the students aren't happy, then you know, I, I want to address that. And but also, of course, I in, in the previous, in, in when I was graduate school, I was very heavily into invested in the trans stuff as an onlooker and an ally, as you might say today. So I was also in this weird position of, of having this young woman who. I think I was pro-trans before, almost before you were, before you were born, um, and so that was also a sort of dissonance, right? Where I consider myself at that point a very staunch pro-trans person, yeah, you know, um, and, and therefore, and, and therefore, to be seen as kind of like this, you know, potentially hosting a transphobic discussion was sort of a, a sort of a sort of a real right. sort of jolt. So, so you've been an OG trans uh, supporter, yes, uh, but you had not gotten the memo that denying certain social phenomena yeah, was exactly. what it yes. meant to yes. not be a transphobe. Yes, exactly. And yes. acknowledging the existence of yes. social phenomena yes. is what it meant to be a transphobe. Yes, exactly. And of course, I was I had been interested in the trans stuff and engaged with it in the 1990s, and they had not followed it at all. Right. So basically, I because I was in Boston, I was involved with certain people in the uh, community there. And so, you know, I had sort of not seen how it changed radically. And, and you know, nobody before 2000 was saying trans women women Nobody was saying that we need to give you know young kid children you know some transition. So it was a very quite quite a different sort of phenomenon back then. And so your awareness came all at once through social yes, media. Exactly. Yes, a couple of garden articles. Something's changing. We're yeah. giving chemical castration mm. drugs mm. to uh, children, and they are in fact the same drugs mm. in the same dosage. Mm. Um, that happened after that. Yes, exactly. Session. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you realize oh there's a there's a new culture that's mm. on the rise now. You had been secure in the belief that mm. your uh, traditional uh, standard notions mm. of, uh, well, they're not traditional, but they're kind of uh, traditional to the left, right, yes, of the post exactly. yes, left there. Yes. Our understanding of what free speech yeah. and academic... But also, we're on the side of truth, so it's right-wingers who are distorting, and they've got you know this really ludicrous ideology. People on the left, we just want the truth. We yes. seek the truth. Right. That's the foundation of our, our sort of tradition. Yes. So, uh, from that left... That old left, I guess, becomes the old left tradition mm-hmm. uh, at the moment of ideological succession. Mm-hmm. And um, but you thought it was in the ascendancy, and mm-hmm. it was in the ascendancy. Mm-hmm. But how did you become to come to realize that these people were, from the perspective of the administrators and of the cultural environment that surrounded you, those people were in the right, and you were the problematic person? Um, so I suppose I mean Oxford is, is or I guess you didn't yeah. know that at yeah. the time that they. No, I didn't. And yeah. you're like, but, oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I may have to indulge these people, or no, I didn't think that. Okay, <laughs> so I, I'm, <laughs> I'll try to be sensitive, uh, yeah. but I'm going to let them know what the rule yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, I sort of, I mean, obviously, I said, you know. Sort of, oh, you should have said that in the seminar, and and you know, I, I think it was a sort of a relatively very minor, uh, sort of very minor issue, but it, it sort of alerted me. And then I read around, and then you know, I read read Alice Drager's book about Michael Bay, uh, who attacks on Michael um, Michael Bailey, yeah, um, who was the object of gynophobia. Um, and so then I realized this is part of it's not just these few students; it's, it, this is part of a broader phenomenon. And then there was the Hypatia affair. 
Yes. So the Hypatia affair, where a young uh, philosopher Rebecca Tuvel said talked about, well, why can't we? We have pro- we we're, we're pro transgender. Why can't we pro transracial? Which is a very perfectly legitimate philosophical thought experiment published in a philosophical journal. And then that was a massive campaign to vilify her. And again, you know, I'm thinking this is you know this is really bad. You know, so I think you know, I've got to stand for academic freedom. And so, yeah, that's that sort of, those are the things that sort of radicalized, <laughs> radicalized me, if you like. Did you see, and then did, did Lisa Lippman thing happen before that? Uh, no, that was, I think, after, after okay. Hypatia, yeah. Okay, but by the time that happened then, you had already done your deep dive into the... No, no, I was still just sort of t- t- putting my toes in the water. Okay. Uh, so I was sort of, sort of getting more interested in this and becoming more concerned about it, you know. Uh, and interested then, intellectually, but also uh, concerned about it, sort of. And then you realized that this whole practice that has suddenly become, has scaled up, rests on a foundation exactly, yes, of, of, yes. of one study. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Had, was that shocking to you? Did yes, you, it was. I mean, it was. And particularly when you see that uh, it's so hard to get any contrary information out. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, once you have all these clinicians saying this is good. And remember that in some ways that it's not like, it's not like other, some other medical scandals where... Patients are given treatments that, that 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 they don't, you know, that they they come with a symptom and then the doctor gives them a treatment which turns out to be bad. Yes. In this case, the patients come wanting that treatment. Yes. So it's not that the gender clinicians are, are force, you know, are forcing these people, uh, kids and pa- parents to have this. They come ready and they say, "I want this treatment." Right. Um, um, for the most part, and so as a result, the sort of clinicians are also kind of under under, under pressure, and there's really no. There's very really no very little scope. I mean, unfortunately, in Britain we have we have uh, sort of a, we have a kind of more diverse media, including right wing media like the Daily Telegraph or the Times, and so it's possible. For the Daily Telegraph was the newspaper that first uh, public publicised my call, kind of call for the release of the data. An Oxford professor accuses Tavistock Clinic, of, but without that right wing, you know, that so I had to go to what, what I would never before read. Yeah, I would read read the Guardian. But now it was the Daily Telegraph that would be the the one that would be willing to sort of write this up as a story, mm-hmm. whereas the Guardian was sort of, sort of would, would never would never touch it. Did you feel uh, was that a difficult step for you to take? No, no. At this no. point, I mean, at this point, it's, it's fine. And also in Britain, I mean, in Britain, we're fortunate that a lot most of the pushback against transgenderism has come originally from left wing feminists mm-hmm. to older feminists of second wave feminists. So there's and there's no real evangelical right. So the culture war has a much has a much has a much less uh, yeah a very different phenomenon than it is in America, and that's partly one of the reasons why I resent let's say American students. So I've had American students sort of take over my seminar and sort of tell me I have to you know, explain myself and so on, and it annoys me because it's American imperialism. Like you don't understand that here I'm on the side of not right wing evangelical Christians, but sort of left wing lesbian feminists. Right. So, but they bring their you know they they you know, Americans you know bring their their the belief that the everywhere is just America, and so I come to Britain. They come to Britain and they think, oh well, you know. I'm. I'm. I think. See me as a sort of a Trumpite. You know, sort of a Trump. A Trump support. <laughs> so they they've done takeovers of your seminar. Well, yes. There, there was the. I mean, there has been various kind of exposés of my views rather than student newspaper. But one one the sort of the most probably the most um, uh, the most sort of the biggest flashpoint was there was a, allegations of a twins. Uh, there was a, twi- a Twitter account that was viewed as transphobic. Yeah. Um, that was linked uh, to me. Um, I was accused. I was accused of running this account, and then the students in that in that master, in the same course, and several years, a couple of years later, 
uh, you know, said, you have to explain yourself. What are your views? We need to know. Um, yes. And what was interesting about that encounter... So there was, you were running a Twitter account? Oh, uh, well, that, that was the allegation, yeah. yeah. Oh, was, was it true? Uh, well, I mean, that, uh, yeah. I, uh, let me put it this way, that there was no official... Compl- I said to them, if, if you have evidence, and you think this... A, if you have evidence, this was me, and B, if you... Um, if you if you think this this account was transphobic, you should make a formal complaint. Yes. and no one made a formal complaint. So yeah, that's, okay. That's, um, but I think what was interesting there is that there, so there was a lot of vociferous vociferous students talk about transphobia and so on, and then for two hours, like for two hours, basically a struggle session for two hours. But then after the session, uh-huh. I mean, several students came to me and emailed me and yes. said privately, and they said I re- either they supported me on the on the print on the on the sort of on the substance. Well, they said, I don't know what's going on here, but, you know, you've got a right to whatever you think. Right. So one of those, either the sort of substantive or sort of procedural, um, uh, you know, agreement with me. But they would not do it in public. Yes. Um, so they would tell that, so there was a sort of interesting asymmetry there. So the, the, the anti, you know, the, the campaign against me was very much public. And, in fact, there was a, a petition circulated yeah. uh, in the student room. So a student would go just from student to student saying, will you sign this? Would you support trans people? Will you sign this petition to sort of uh, discipline me or sanction me or something like that? Yes. Whereas, um, and so of course it was hard for students not to, you know, how do you not to you know, sign that? Whereas somebody was going to set up a petition to support me. Yes. Uh, and they were told, a student was told, and they were told, don't, 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 do, you know, don't do that, you know, don't. Don't, it's not worth your, you know. It's like I said, it could be could be very bad to, for you to do that. So I had sort of private, so public opposition, but private support. It was a kind of interesting sort of asymmetry. Yes, there. preference falsification. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, but you knew that your private support was robust. And- uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was hard to tell, tell what. I mean, probably it was about fifty fifty. But it's like the fifty percent who supported me, or at least didn't oppose me, were, 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 were kind of hidden. But so, of course, I kept telling my, you know, people in my department, you know, my head of the department and so on, look, you know, here's another email supporting me or here's, because otherwise they would not have, not have known that. And, and uh, your department and the administration, did they contemplate investigating or? Um, there was a, there was a, there was a one meeting, but I think, you know, it was, it was, it was a bit, yeah, I think there, there wasn't really a, sort of much of a case. And so. I think they, they hit a button. The head of part was was very, was very good, and just you know realized that this is not you know this is not something we really want to engage in. Whatever whatever the truth of it is, it's, there's no sort of evidence. There's no formal. I mean, as I said, there was no formal complaint. Yeah. And so I think um, yeah, I think I mean, and I think robustly they we're a department which is not particularly woke and not we we actually do quantitative, positivistic, empirical research, and so we don't do the kind of social justice research which sociology is often associated with. So right. I think from his point of view, well, you know, there's a discussion, there's a debate. Well, you know, people have different views. <laughs> That's part of part of a little bit, you know, part, right. of, part of normal scientific discussion and, and the political discussion. So, the, so the the um, the values that you thought of as in the ascendancy when you began mm-hmm. continue to be in the ascendancy at least for now within your department and your university. Yes, yes, yes. So I think I mean I think the University of Oxford is is definitely one of the best uh, universities in Britain for sort of standing up for academic freedom. And it's you know a lot of sort of old stodgy old people. Um, but what the concern is is what happens when the young the young kind of woke people. Who, Filter up from postdocs to you know, you know, to, to, to junior faculty, and then what you know, what will happen eventually uh, as they take as they take power? 
Um, and do you so, see that happening around you? It's, I do see. Yeah, not so. Yes, I do. You know, you see. I mean, this. You know, I mean, not so much maybe from from experience, but just looking at the data on the sort of attitudes of, of young uh, academics. Yes. Uh, so Eric Kaufman has sort of compiled a lot of data from America and Britain about about that. And there's just such a shift in, in attitudes, and you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's got to when that demography, when that demographic kind of bubble comes up. Yeah. Uh, of young people with totally different attitudes. I mean, fortunately, maybe I'll be, I'll be retired or dead, but I, I okay. don't, yeah. I think there's sort of, you know, I don't feel that they, I don't feel particularly optimistic about the long term. And I, when I talk to sort of friends, they'll yeah. say, oh, come on, you know, it's, don't be, you know, don't be a, you know, drama queen, not quite exactly, but, you know, don't be, you know, don't, don't over traumatize everybody supports. And I'll say, you know, I have a friend who said, oh, you know, I had, you know, my college, there was a very good philosopher, it's very, very appropriate speech. And you think, but he he's retired by now. You know, like yeah, you're, you're, you, they don't understand that what the young, you know, sort of the shift uh, in the young and the and the young generations. Like I think a lot of people. So so they look around their peers and they say everybody supports everybody's on the side. If since you know, if you if you want to say rapists shouldn't be in women's prisons, then you know if, obviously that's a fine statement. They don't realize that for young for young people that is completely unacceptable to say to say that statement. And those young people are going to eventually become in positions of power. And so it's more just the consensus of that generation. It is not a matter of DEI mandates, although that may hasten things. Uh, well, we do. I mean, we have, you know, we, we University of Oxford has uh, belongs to Stonewall, which is the LGBTQ yeah. organization. And I've used freedom of information requests to sort of find out what else. So every year, we our university has to say, um, has to give like, you know, page, um, I think it's like 30, 40, 50 pages of information to Stonewall. And they have to say, Here's what we've done on this. Here's what we've done on that. For example, here's we have to we have to every year we have to highlight you know one lesbian and gay trans speaker, one bi speaker, two trans speakers. You know, yeah. like it's a, and you can see the hierarchy within the LGBTQ. You know, interesting. So and so you know to get Stonewall's, uh, you know, we have to submit mm-hmm. to Stonewall. Like we're begging Stonewall for approval in order to get there. You know, but go up in their rankings. So I've called on the university sort of to sort of leave the scheme because I don't think it's appropriate at all to be part of this completely unelected lobby group. And that's the thing is that Stonewall is not... So we could say the university union of academic staff, as a union, most people don't belong to it, and of course most people don't belong to the election. But if you say, we're going to recognise the president of the union... Yes. Th- that's a democratic person. They can say, I speak for staff, even though only a minority of people voted them. But the, the Stonewall is just completely unelected. I mean, right. no, no lesbians, gays, and bisexuals, and trans people didn't come together and elect... Stonewall is just a, not a lobby group that's set it up itself and it's, it's funded by public money. Yes. Um, through, you know, through, uh, complete, so it's completely the sort of what America, I think in America is something called a self licking ice cream cone. You know? Yes. It's kind of this particular circuit thing where the public government pays, government public bodies pay Stonewall to, to tell them what to do. Yes. Right? Uh, and so even, even though University of Oxford is not particularly woke, you know, it's still signed up to all these things. We have a trans policy and so on, which, you know, which I wasn't even aware of until until I started getting into into this stuff. So the so paper, the sort of administrative rules and regulations have changed, um, even though the culture in Oxford hasn't yet changed uh, particularly. And what have you gone on to to do on the subject? Oh, so yeah, so one one sort of strand of my, my research is on um, is on the medical stuff, which is talking about puberty blockers. Uh, another strand is on I've written about or more soci- sociologically about the sort of queer the important impact of queer theory on prison policy in Britain. And I think it's kind of a, such a nice case because you never think, you know, of queer theory of Judith Butler. I read Judith Butler as a, when I was in the 1990s. Obviously, you know, 
important at that point academic theory but really I mean put it crudely kind of intellectual masturbation I mean it's kind of it's, you, I didn't think much of it but it's fine if people in you know English literature want to use this find it useful fine you know whatever performativity gender that's great um, but when when you see actually it's 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 literally informing prison policy in Britain and that was really a kind of a shock to me or in England and Wales with actually quoting Butler or activists key transgender activists who say that they were their primary influence was due to Butler and now advising the prison service on to change the rules in order to make sex to, to eliminate sex and replace it by gender identity and so I have this article in the journal of controversial ideas uh, which is probably the, the only uh, journal that would, would uh, publish it, which is, but it was just a straight sociological case study of policy change and how queer theory, uh, human rights policy or human rights ideas also, but also then queer theory yes. shifted. It was behind this map, this fundamental shift in um, prison policy where instead of putting men, you know, it, now if you have a man uh, up into, at the high point of that policy, what was important was the feelings of the rapist, right? The rapist. Yes. And, you know, if the rapist felt like a woman, then you need to make sure that his feelings are, are respected. And that was driven by, uh, you know, the last phase of it, driven by kind of tra- activists. Uh, not, not all of them are trans, but part of this, the, um, uh, the sort of, uh, the sort of inspired by queer theory. And what was also particularly interesting in the case of Britain is that it happened under a conservative government. So this is not sort of, you know, right. this is not, uh, as you might think, Joe Biden or... Um, you know, New Zealand just into a return. I mean, that's not really surprising, right? These are left wingers who, left wing parties. Why shouldn't they implement left wing policies? But this is these crazy, as I would see them, uh, queer policies uh, being enacted, being enacted under a Tory government or being right. sort of incorpor- uh, administratively altered and uh, under a Conservative government, which shows the sort of power of these ideas, right? right. And also Foucauldian, Foucauldian way, which power is not necessarily the, the sovereign at the top. You know, Boris Johnson or, you know, the Prime Minister is not necessarily, it's, it's all these kind of bureaucrats and administrators that yes. kind of these, uh, or you, professional activists and activist professionals, right, I think is your, yes. is your phrase, right. um, who are kind of, who are making, you know, these, these fundamental changes when the government is kind of either asleep at the wheel or can't, you know, it, it, it's not really interested in, in looking into them. Right. So the, the untransitioned uh, man who used the penis that is still, yes. that he still has. Yes. Uh, in order to rape a yes, woman. Yes, So this is why I got into this, this particular subject. So I went to a seminar at Oxford, All, all, all Souls College, a very traditional college, you know, sort of oak panelling. It's the wealthiest, you know, one of the wealthiest college in, in Oxford. And this queer criminologist gave this crazy talk about how transphobic it was for these dissident feminist groups to not want the rapist, Karen White, in the women's prisons. And it's like, even the most misogynistic, hardcore, you know, like, right. uh, and yet you, as a sort of queer chronologist, as saying that it's terrible for these terrible dissident feminist groups to publicise, and she said hey, she had a trigger warning because Fair Play for Women had a picture of this unshaven, pudgy, really tough look, rough looking bloke on on their, their little leaflet, and they said, "Meet Karen. You know, do you want Karen in a women's prison?" And Karen was a rapist and had been put in the women's prison. We get assault, sexually assaulted prisoners, and so the, this criminologist said, "You know, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. You know, this is a horrific transphobic materials poster that was produced by this terrible group, and you know, this, this trans woman is not shown. You know, like what is this, this bloke? Like, it's a horrible, you know, like really evil, nasty bloke. Why are you?" Supporting him, you know, as as a queer woman, like what, what, what's, you know, and that's just still, I still can't quite fathom that. And you're choosing the worst kind of men 
to support. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, and you could you could have said this person not really trans, or there could be some exceptions, and you know, ninety nine percent of trans people are nice and peaceful trans women, and that they should be women's prison, but maybe this one percent shouldn't. I mean, there are lots of ways in which you could. But she was like, she was carrying the logic, the, the ideology to it. Yeah, and give her credit, you know, she was carrying it to its its, its absolute absurdity of the pure kind of. Well, he 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 calls himself a woman. Self-ID, magically, uh, words have magic. Yes, exactly, yes, yes. Do things that no amount of medicine can actually do. Yes, exactly, yes, yes. And it will, it will, uh, it it is dispositive of the case. Yes, exactly, yes. And we're going to be very rigid about that, and we're going to apply it in all instances, Mm -hmm. and in particular this instance, so that all other instances that are short of this are encompassed within the set. Yes, yes, yes. So what I, so, you know, as you know, Judith Butler has this concept of performativity. Yeah. But what I uh, say in this article, which I rather like to delineate two, uh, two ways of thinking about that. So one is dramaturgical performativity. So that's how you look. Yeah. And so it's certainly true, and sociologists always push this point of before Judith Butler, that you know, sometimes you know, we judge sex not by looking at chromosomes or cells or whatever. We look at the person. And it's certainly true that there are some people, you know, there are some men who can perform you know, femininity you know, well enough, so maybe you know, a lot of people might think they're women. So you could say, well, actually, you know, gender really performed depends on this performativity through dramaturgical, what you give off, you know, the tone of your voice, how deep your voice is, or your dress, and so on. But that slides into what I call elocutionary performativity, which is just I say what I say. So in the first in the first phase of the prison, uh, the prison, you have this for a very kind of uh, attractive sort of a transsexual who was put in a woman's prison, and that was sort of dramaturgical performativity because you could say, well, this this person really looked like a woman. didn't really look like a woman, very very tall but ginormous um, breasts, okay. and then long hair, and so you could say, well, there's a performance of femininity there, so there's a kind of gender performativity going on in that dramaturgical sense, but it then ends up being just simply. I say it, you know, and that's where, you know, that, and that's where the, the, the ultimately the activists have written, where you say, you know, I can be a, you know, you can, I can have a full beard and be dressed in the most manly way and have a deep voice of being manly in every respect, including, for example, raping women. And yet I say, you know, it's that I am the word, you know, sort of, I am, I am the word, you know, sort of right. say the word, I'm a woman and that's everything. That is everything. So one would think that all people would uh, reject such claims, mm-hmm. uh, and yet the set of people who are not rejecting those claims includes prison administrators, mm-hmm. the president mm-hmm. of the United mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. the the you know the chairman of uh, Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. and BlackRock. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of the entities that are control the commanding hearts, mm-hmm. uh, commanding heights of the global economy. Mm-hmm. How does one how does one square this uh, Twilight Zone like on reality with? Uh, for the most part, they just seem to not really sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, accept the full reality of these mm. things that are happening mm. on the grounds. Well, I think partly ways is, is controlling it, the amount of information that comes out. So yeah. uh, obviously in, in Britain, for, I mean, fortunately, the case is the rapists, because we have a more diverse media ecosystem, including right-wing media, the, the cases like Karen White become so public knowledge. Yep. Whereas in America, it seems, I mean, there are lots of these cases, um, but that, that, you, know, you see them on this sort of femi- you know, radical feminist YouTube channel right. or maybe the right-wing you know, Daily Wire or something. Would, would have, but, but the mainstream, the New York Times is not going to report on that. Washington Post is not going to report on that. So in some sense, the, inf- the information about sort of bad effects are kind of suppressed. That's one thing. I think another thing is that a lot of, a lot of at this point, there are a lot of trans kids. And a lot of people have a trans kid or a trans nephew or a trans niece or a transgender. And, and so they're really concerned about this kid. You know, my, 
you know, I want to protect my kid. And so, what, for example, some of the gender intelligence training that was done in Oxford was driven, I, I know, because uh, I defended a woman who was sort of subject to disciplinary proceedings yeah. uh, by raising questions in the seminar. But that was initiated by someone who, you know, had a partner with a trans child. So you, and often, uh, you know, private information is shared among um, sort of activists are on our side about oh this particular per- this particular official this particular university administrator mm. we actually know that they have you know a trans transgender or a trans uh, sibling or whatever so often there are, there's kind of people with direct personal stake in it. and either they view themselves as being I really want to you know push the trans stuff because my kid depends on it yeah my sibling or nephew or niece or whatever or they say maybe I'm a bit skeptical but I'm, there's no way I'm going to destroy this relationship. Right. By, by you know sort of um, giving succor to, to transphobes and so there's a lot of that there's a, I think that's one of the ways in which the movement is sort of surprisingly successful is that you know you have people with personal investments in it um, and then I think the other thing is it's very hard to in our current climate to say sort of no to, to, to vulnerable groups yeah right so there's no doubt that you know if, if, if you're believe you're trapped in the wrong body you have this terrible gender dysphoria you, you are you are a victim you're a vulnerable and so for somebody who's not in that position of privilege, a cis person like you or I, it's very hard to look them in the face and say, no, I don't agree with your claims, you know. And whether that be the case with refugees or with, you know, they're not, you know on, on all different dimensions of, of the kind of the, the privilege and, and, um, and victimhood. Yeah. Uh, it's, very, it's very difficult. If somebody accuses you of transphobia, I mean, it's very difficult to say, you know, I think you're wrong or I don't care. Um, the, 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 the instinctive response is to say, yes, I'm so sorry. What yes. can I do to be a better, better ally? You know? So we see these graphs about like uh, the explosive growth of the use of the term racism and mm-hmm. so on. But those are terms that also have been around for a while. And yeah, but they didn't, I think, have the same. Yeah, they didn't have the same kind of. Yeah, they had the same punch as they did maybe now. But transphobia does yeah. not have a prior existence. No, no, that's true. No. It was astroturfed into place, and yet it became. A thing that had always mm. been uh, a, a great sin for mm. which a person could sacrifice mm. their career mm. and livel- livelihood, um, and all at once, mm. and and it was a and uh, and I think even in the year 2018, you did not know the mm. perils that mm. were associated mm. with it, and exactly. you yes. came to learn the full yes. extent of the yes. perils. Mm. You were protected to some degree mm. by the residual. Uh, you know, kind of ascendant belief mm. uh, about what was normative within mm. the academy. Um, that's there for now, but has eroded really rapidly in the last five years. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, but you do feel you're going to be able to keep doing your work. And But it's it's, it's among the most fascinating uh, and also disturbing, I mm. think, sociological phenomena. Yes, it is. Yes, yes. In, uh, in the history of uh, developed nations. Mm, mm. Well, it's certainly like, I mean, when I was in graduate school, I'd read sort of anthropology, you know, anthropology of, you know, some you know, Australian Aborigine tribe or, you know, Pygmies in, in Africa or what. And you, you know, realize it's such a completely different culture and they're just weird beliefs. And you think, gosh, these people, I mean, how do they have such weird beliefs, right? Right. And then I discover, you know, in 2018 that, that you know, they, these clearly crazy more, more crazy than any aborigine or pick me or whatever has come up with uh, being being promulgated in my institution by people who look yeah you know, my people right and they're not are foreigners that that people look like me and they share the same cultural heritage as me and yet they have these completely bizarre uh beliefs which are sort of yeah so in that sense there's a real interesting sort of cultural 
you realize the, the power of, of, of culture. Yeah, so being at EPATH and then being here, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's the same people. Yes, exactly. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, it's educated, uh, you know, middle class, mm-hmm. first world exactly. people yes, who yes. share almost everything mm-hmm. uh, except there is a divergence mm-hmm. as great as that between us and the tribe mm-hmm. where you're, you know, sort of every every boy's rite of passage is to give fellatio to, yeah, exactly. to the older man. I mean, yes, they, yes, there is that yes, tribe, yeah, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and and how did we how did that massive discontinuity mm. emerge out of nowhere mm. around the year 2015 mm. and then divide the world into uh, at least from the perspective of power and authority good and evil mm. Mm. when in fact evil rests upon uh, the good right the thing that mm. is trumpeted as the good rests upon a, 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 a nugatory scientific evidentiary basis mm. while making claims mm. of being science mm. Mm. and medicine. Mm. <laughs> but I think I mean I think once I mean once you establish the infrastructure of you know and I think feminism has got a lot well so I think you say there's no 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 sort of precedent for this but in some ways there was and I have an, uh, a piece which I rather liked in Quillette uh, which didn't give that much attention about how feminism itself has given uh, given um, has laid the foundations for this because of course now I'm sort of allied with a lot of left wing feminism I'm very glad to be and of course they've often suffered the worst sort of uh, tanks by ironically enough young women and that's one of the also things that's very frightening to see you see this older feminists or yes. older women being attacked viciously right. by these young women and yeah. that, that's really also what kind of culture creates that sort of hatred of the mother or the grandmother that's also sort of odd um, but anyway so so the fit but so we we're just talking about how uh, in this in the previous session about how um you know, families are now worried about their, their kids being taken away from them if they don't affirm, if they don't give medical treatment. In some countries, uh, that's a real threat. Um, but and how terrible that is. But of course, what I want to say is, but that's what feminism wants. From the you know, from fe- feminism wanted to destroy the family. Yeah. You know, or at least the radical some portions of feminism, not all feminism. And now they've you know finally uh, you've they've hold just, on one second. I'm gonna think it out of the way. I got connected to this battery. And it's also the kind of lived experience stuff, right? Yes. Kind of establishing the authority of lived experience. As, yes, exactly. As, yes. as counter knowledge. Yes. And then somehow, but somehow that suborned the state itself. Right? Yes. Although the strange thing about lived experience is only some people's lived experience, right? <laughs> some ways, how do you, you know? So it's it's kind of a lived experience of 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 a, of a small uh, of people who only have particular demographic characteristics. Yes. But also only speak. Uh, only speak certain. So, if you have the right demographic characteristics but the wrong views, then you also your lived experience doesn't doesn't count. Also, so uh, go go back to the uh, you know uh, the feminists. Yeah. So feminists. I mean, you know, in some ways, feminists started out by saying in the nineteen seventies that sex didn't matter. Yeah. Right. And that only the only thing that really you know that's all patriarchy. It's all um, socialization, and that. That really, there's you know, there's maybe some differences in genitals, and maybe, you know, okay, women may just their children, men don't. But I mean, apart from that, there's no differences. And I think that argument in the 1970s was probably salutary because the dominant culture saw, you know, exaggerated biological differences. You say a woman couldn't run the marathon, or women, you know, can't be doctors. They're not, you know, sort of they're not their brains aren't good enough. And obviously, that was wrong. So I think when you the, so when feminism, this feminist 
biological denialism of biology yeah. started. It was kind of a, a good corrective to an over emphasis on biology. But of course, now it has taken over. Now it's become the dominant orthodoxy. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually, it, it ironically, ended up actually harming uh, women and girls. Yeah. But in, but in some ways, the transgenderism is sort of is now kind of piggybacking on the success of feminism. It's been so successful that now transgender say, well, there's no such thing as sex. So we see a series of pathological corrections. Mm, and yes, so yeah. Title IX, right, mm. said that there had to be as much provision of sports for women mm, as men. Exactly. Yes, yes. And so, but in practice, that meant because the football team is huge. Yeah, you have to have a you huge to get, female football team. Yeah. And if you don't have that, you have yeah. to get rid of the wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Whereas you couldn't have a more reasonable construction of what it meant to give people equal opportunities. Yes, exactly. yes. Like, are there women who are not able to compete in their sport? Yeah. That they want to. And if yeah. the answer is yes, then maybe you can have more male athletes mm. as a result of the mm. huge football mm. team. Simple as that. Yeah. That's a reasonable thing that, yeah. like, the vast majority of people would say. That's mm. a reasonable mm. solution, but people who had a certain uh, very rigid notion of equality mm. did not allow that to happen, right? Yeah, and also, of course, there was, uh, there's a... So we moved yeah. from there... Mm to squeezing out the, fo- the men's uh, wrestling team, mm. right, to now destroying women's sports mm. altogether. Yes, yes. So yes. one pathological correction mm. by another pathological correction mm. pushed by the same people mm. on the basis of the same principle that, mm. that, 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 that the cis woman is privileged yeah. relative to the trans woman. Yes, yes. Yes, although now it's often the feminists who pushed for the the first being eaten up by the second, right? Yes. Yeah, yes, yes. It, it's, the same, it's the same people because the, the feminists who have gone down the intersectional slide, mm, and yes. that actually means sacrificing our daughters mm. to your son's... Mm, mm, yes, uh, yes. To your son's uh, gender identity. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes, so there was a good... It was, I've seen several times, you know, mothers saying, oh, sort of mum's net. So one of the, the... You might know about mum's net. So one yes. of the, the important ways in which Britain was different is that it was this kind of social media site called Mumsnet, which allowed, because it wasn't run by feminists, yes. it actually allowed feminist discussion of a kind of unorthodox anti-trans or pro-gender critical, whatever, pro-sex, um, uh, sex realist um, um, to, to flourish and label and someone helped to mobilize uh, people for, this became mainstream, mobilize women. And I've read on this a couple of times, women saying, I can't, you know, I have this argument with my daughter. You know, I keep telling her, isn't it terrible the, yeah. the, the boys, you know, it's terrible that boys are competing in girls. It's like terrible in, in girls' sports. And they say, but the daughters will say, but mum, there's no difference, you know, like, there's no differences. And the mother daughters, are, the mothers are saying, what? My, my daughter's now saying there's no differences. I mean, women can do anything. It's like, but, well, you've told her, you've, you've raised your daughter to believe that there are no differences between women and that, and that, you know, women can do anything and women can achieve, girls can achieve anything. So in some ways you've created this, this monster that is now, that is now devouring, devouring you. And, and the girls approve of that devouring, is the thing. They, yes, they, the younger yes. generation. Yes, exactly. Yes, and that. that yes, yeah. not all of them do. No, but, no, but, uh, but Riley Gaines doesn't. She yes, was second yes. place. Some, some of the other people did, mm. but Riley Gaines, in the U.S. context, you know, has a right winger. Was a right winger, you know, associated with white wingers, mm. and in the U.S., our polarized system. Once white right wingers mm. oppose something, then it becomes necessary to yes, yes, exactly. uh, 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 to um, it, it strengthens and consolidates the progressive consensus mm. that had, mm. and so these things uh, swept through left wing activist spaces, mm. and then they swept through academe, mm. and then they 
and then now they're surfacing at the level of national politics. Mm. And when it's Republicans and right-wing evangelicals that oppose it, then it strengthens mm. exactly yes. progressive control, and it's progressives who control American institutions, mm. and it's mm. progressives who control BlackRock and mm. Vanguard, mm. and uh, and so the most e- extraordinary mimetic warfare, uh, all on behalf of. A population so small that mm-hmm. it demographically doesn't even exist, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in terms of uh, votes mm-hmm. cast, mm-hmm. and yet people's sentimental attachments yes. manufactured yes. through I Am Jazz or yes. through, through the, 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 these books mm-hmm. are enough to activate. Um, it's a you know, it's a it's a virus. Mm-hmm. It, it controls the whole mechanism mm-hmm. of of uh, progressive ideation and progressive governance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and the question is, is like, can democracy, because most people's opinions are rooted in reality in a way that the elite consensus has now departed from. Mm. But it's rooted in reality in such a way that no one has ever had to question it before. No one has ever had to make an articulate defense of it before. Mm. Everybody just assumes this is true, that questioning it is crazy because it is. Mm. Um, uh, um, and so, um, and and so, there doesn't. It, it's uh, the views are not universally held, but uh, supermajority held, but weakly held. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're up against these factions that uh, that are super invested mm-hmm. in them, mm-hmm. and who are able to control certain choke points within mm-hmm. society. And so, it is a new kind of. It's a new kind of bureaucratic administrative takeover that. I mean, in some ways, prior movements uh, against sexism, racism, and homophobia partook of these kinds of tactics. Mm. Um, and on behalf of goals that we all recognize to be worthy. Mm. Mm. But the danger was that in the process of building that infrastructure, they could be, yeah, they could take a machine exactly. that could be hijacked yes. by something that yes. was actually quite not so benign. Mm. And also, ironically, had its worst, and you could argue that one of the worst effects, you know, some of the, the people who have been most affected by transgender ideology are women and, and gay, gays and lesbians. Uh, right. So they're the, sort of the ultimate, sort of more, the, the most clear victims of, of this. Right. And so this is the point I make about successor ideology. You cannibalize the mm. prior mm. subjects yes. of progressive reform. Mm. I take this further than some people do. It's like, oh, there's an equilibrium at the end of history mm. that you may well have met. Mm. Like, like you, you are free and equal to the extent that our system is able to provide those things, mm. and of course, economically and so on, it is mm. not able to. Mm. And that further, the further progression of something that is said to resemble progress mm. actually only involves cannibalizing yes, prior subjects. Yes, exactly. yes, yes. Right? Mm. Like uh, normalizing paraphilias mm. and so on. That's all that remains. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. After the you reach the terminal mm. boredom at mm. the end of history. Mm. Uh, you have to manufacture causes into existence mm. by taking... Um, a category that doesn't even really exist, redefining it as something that any uh, any troubled person can identify mm-hmm. into, right? And then telling them that they're that, that the people that don't want to give them everything that they're asking mm-hmm. are hateful mm-hmm. transphobes, and that the, the the state and the oligarchy are on the side of these victims, mm-hmm. um, and that the hateful masses have to be placed under further control and denied any democratic legitimacy yes, yes. Mm-hmm. so it's all it's all part of this mm-hmm. um, 
it's uh, there is a political and sociological theory that that has that I I sort of grope for just by kind of I'm you know in an improvisatory way that has not been written, uh, but that is all encompassing really. And I guess that's the kind of successor ideology book that I want to write. I'm not quite up, equipped for it, right? You, you know, one has to really be a master of many fields in order to do it. But I think I can sketch it out, mm, yes, right, yes. And, and 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 allow yeah. others to, you know, do that work. Uh, not that anyone will want to, but <laughs> do the work. Yeah, yeah, do the work. Uh, yeah. But but you think back, you know, you you would have been. Uh, you know, a British, uh, you know, left-wing, uh, you, you know, sociology student uh, in the nineties. Well, no, I was, I was in America, so I was in oh, okay. Harvard, so I did. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was in America, yeah. yeah uh, and back then, you would have these debates: Terry Eagleton versus Judith Butler, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, these, yeah. these like figures who are like, "Look, this is intellectual masturbation. Mm-hmm. This is real engagement with mm-hmm. the material mm-hmm. reality." Mm-hmm. And we know that this that this sterile scholasticism mm. is not going to make any difference in the world. Mm, exactly. Yes. And it turns out. Yeah. Exactly. That would have worked. Yeah. It turns out that it was the intellectual mm. masturbators mm. that transformed the world. Exactly. Yes. And I, and I think Judith Butler, if you'd gone back to 1995 and told her, you know, if I'd gone back in a time machine and said, "Do you know that you know British prison policy in you know in 25 years' time will be shaped by your ideas?" I mean, I think she would have no. She would just say, "You're a lunatic. You know, you're you're absurd." You know. I mean, that militates against your very notion of the cis-heteronormative society that... Mm, exactly, yes. It's how it, uh, and, but, um, and of yes. course, that term didn't even exist for her, did it? Um, mm. Because the term cis didn't exist. Yes, exactly, yes. Uh, but, but we can coin these terms in 2008, and they can become the basis of primary school education mm. in 2023. Mm. Exactly, yes. And so, uh, and, uh, so how does one... How does one push back against all that? Well, I think Britain has, has provided sort of exemplary, led the world um, in pushing back. Um, yeah. Partly, I think, because for various reasons. One is mum's net. Uh, one is the sort of more diverse media ecosystem. Yeah. Um, another is, I think, a lack of even Christian evangelicals. So there's sort of not that kind of really homophobic, pro-life right. um, kind of, you know, tr- British traditions was much, uh, British conservatives much sort of weaker and less sort of reactionary. And um, and I think yeah I think those are yeah so therefore in some ways we you know Britain has, has really led the led the way right. uh, and because <laughs> the, and then it is it has you know it's escaped that that sort of polarization that terrible polarization which you see in America as you've sketched uh, whereby if anybody criticizes the Democrats become more and more you know then that becomes more and more fundamental the left wing identity um, and then but of course it's, it's not clear what's going to happen. When the Labour, so already, as I said, I mean, a lot of the, the trans stuff is mu- and, and, and wokeness more generally is, is embodied much more now than it was under Labour, you know, so under, despite 15 years or whatever it is of Tory rule, 13 yeah. years of Tory rule, and now, you know, obviously the, the, the Conservatives make noises about cultural war occasionally, saying, oh, we're going to push back against this stuff, but of course they never really do, or they do in very, very minor ways. And so we've got no idea what's going to happen when. The labor, obviously, Labour will, will come in, and with the Labour, Labour at the moment it sort of seems to be committed to a very pro uh, sort of trans stance. Uh, but Keir Starmer is making a wobbling a bit on that. So there's one world leader, there's one head of state that was a asked the question: What percentage mm, of, mm, of, uh, of women don't have penises? Mm, is that how they frame it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and then there's one head of state who who said 100. Mm, percent mm, uh, mm. It was asked of another uh, leader who was like equivocated more than ninety nine. Yeah, I think Keir, Keir Starmer sort of said ninety nine point 
99% or whatever it was, or 99.1 or 99.9 or whatever. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so he's equivocating. Yes. Um, and whether he's going to realize, I mean, sort of the hope is that he realizes that, as you say, that this is not the kind of thing that, as it becomes more salient, it, isn't, it will alienate voters. Yes. But on the course of the activists, yeah. the young activists in the party. So I was engaged just before the pandemic in a, in a scheme uh, that, uh, to sort of talk to Labour MPs about, for example, PDA, I was, I was, I was one of the experts lined up to talk to Labour MPs about the, the lack of evidence for uh, transgender medicine for children. And so the scheme was, and the lobbyists sort of laid it out to us, that we would, but they couldn't so email yeah. or write to the Labour MPs because that would be intercepted by the staff. So it has to literally be sort of, you know, come up to them when they're walking through the lobby of parliament and sort of hand them a piece of paper. That was the only way of sort of getting through. And then they would say, we're going to have these kind of, obviously we're not going to meet in a cafe. We're just going to like be safe houses, you know, of supporters sort of somewhere around parliament. And there'd be those sort of safe houses that the MP would be ushered into and then they would see, and we're totally off the record. So that, you know, this is, this is, this is how the Labour Party operates because the activists are young, you know, keen, enthusiastic. They've imbibed all the, all the doctrines of, um, of, uh, of, of transgenderism. So there's one Labour MP who is sort of very vociferous, Rosie Duffield, and she's been attacked as a result of it on sort of our side. But everybody else is either silent or they're very much, you know, trans women and women. Um, kids, trans kids need, you know, medic, medic, medical But you are educating people. And people are um, well. So that that was that scheme was foiled by the pandemic, and it, it, but, okay. yeah. But I mean, there've been countless. I mean, countless. And of course, left wing feminists. I'm not sort of. I wasn't necessarily engaged with the Labour Party, but there are lots and lots of Labour Party, you know, members uh, and so sort of activists who are feminists who are trying to sort of put these views forward, and they're you know having marginal, marginal, uh, marginal success. I think really what will we'll choose, what will change the the, the, the Labour Party's view is if it becomes enough of a salient issue so the Tories are beginning to to um, to win, you know, a public sentiment. Because one of the problems you say that, well, okay, the majority of people don't believe this, but of course the majority of people also, it's not salient. So, yeah. you know, why would you, yes, you, you say, you support the Tories on, on this particular issue, but this issue is not relevant for your life. But as as as, it, as the number of you know, as it becomes more prevalent, as yes. you and particularly when you see your school as your school teaching your kids that, yeah, then I think they're, they're, then that it becomes more salient. And as it becomes more salient, I think the the, the majority view is going to become uh, more important. And we saw this in Scotland when the Scotland Scottish government, very woke progressive government, tried to push forward uh, the gender recognition through bringing self ID. Actually, that led uh, more to more opposition because then people realised what's the implications. And uh, for, yeah, sort of fortunately, it turned out that there was, at the precise moment the Scottish government was putting this, uh, there was a rapist, uh, yeah. a male rapist called Ida Bryson, who had, uh, who had, when he was charged as a man, he could rape call a woman, and then when he was charged, he suddenly said, oh, I'm a woman. Yeah. And so then they, the, the, the media, once the media can ask the question of the politician, do you think this rapist, Ida Bryson, as a, as a woman, do you think he, does she belong in a, in a woman's prison? And then the, once they're cornered, the, the, the a politician looks really bad because now they, they can't say this rapist is a woman. So once the media is able to have the courage or you know, audacity to put forward that question, then the, the whole policy seems ludicrous. But what happens in most countries like New Zealand, where I'm from, or America, is that that question is never put to the politician. So, so then the politician never has to answer, answer that question. And so, um, 
the rubber will hit the road. More and more people's ten-year-old girls are going to be defeated in sports and become totally discouraged as a result of a, a, a boy uh, crushing them. Um, and so the idea is, is, that, is that that democracy can then serve as a check. And that's the question. Yes, I mean, I, I, yes, I mean that that's the the optimistic scenario. Yeah, I think I mentioned this before, but um, you know, there there was a uh, party affiliation, and of course. Only 25% of the country is Democrat or Republican in the U.S. Mm. Party affiliation by generation mm. is, uh, is like in the high single digits uh, favoring Democrats for both millennials mm. and um, mm. uh, baby boomers. Mm. But uh, for, for, for Gen X, mm. it's plus 20 Republican. Mm. Mm. And uh, why is that? If Gen X are actually the people whose kids are in school mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I guess they're kind of getting older, but yeah, I mean, Jacks mm-hmm. are the people who know mm-hmm. that critical race theory and radical gender theory mm-hmm. are not just made up right-wing mm-hmm. moral mm-hmm. panics. They yeah, know exactly. it's happening yes. because they're, it's happening with their kids. kids. Yeah, exactly. There is a, an overall bourgeois moral revolution mm-hmm. that is being led and mm-hmm. being imposed top-down mm-hmm. upon children. And... It's based upon ideas that are inimical <laughs> to uh, uh, pluralism, liberalism, democracy, mm. reason, fairness, mm. truth-seeking. Mm. It's explicitly opposed to all those things mm. that are very much in the grain of, uh, of Anglo-American democracy. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, they aim to be an assault on it. They are undertaking an assault on it. Uh, and they're doing it in a way that um, is, uh, is, is, is insidious to uh, an exceptional degree, and it's the people who are on the gender frontier who, who are most clearly exposed to it. Mm. Yes. And yes. so that, that was the kind of vector of my interest in it mm. in the first place. Mm. Uh, and, then, and then it goes on to, oh, yeah, it actually has become a child mutilation. Mm. It's become a child sacrifice. Mm. And 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 our and uh, the consensus of our medical establishment supports it. Mm. I don't think I I never dreamed I would witness such a thing mm. in my life. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yes, but again, I mean, you you know, um, remember the radical you know from the from the nineteen sixties the the radical at least idea on both sort of uh, gay rights and also feminism was to destroy the family, and this is the sort of the you know finally you know. Obviously, there's no intentionality here, but this this is the method by which you know they're able to you know there is a destruction of the family going on because you have social workers and teachers and uh, doctors and clinicians sort of taking children away in effect uh, either you know sort of in some cases in some cases actually taking them away from the family but at least you know radically alienating the family and also making the victors of course of forcing the family to or parents to 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 um, you know, support there, support, you know, giving this, either you want, either you, you know, the sort of, the, 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 the sort of rhetoric of either you have a trend, you have a, de- you have a dead daughter or a live son or the other way around from trends, the other way around. Yes. Um, and now, but it's, uh, the, but it's like you said, either you have a kind of a, 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 you either you support your child's transition or you're, you're going to be completely estranged from your child. Right. So you have to believe in this ideology or at least pay lip service to it. Yeah. Or you lose your kid. The, that's the choice that the, the, the and you know predominantly I think the, the, the protagonists and this are women 
you know, these are feminized professions, social workers, uh, teachers, cl uh, clinical psychologists, whatever. And so um, that's why I don't like, you know, I find it annoying when people say, oh, it's all about patriarchy, it's the revival of patriarchy. No, this is, this is the sort of the results, unintended consequences of, of some aspects of feminism. So uh, you've, um, you've stood up in the face of this and, mm. uh, and it happened incrementally. Mm. You're like, hey, I'm mm. allowed to research this. Mm. And, Oh my God! What's happening with your puberty blocks? Yes, yeah. and then uh, and then it's gone. It's, it's gone further. And look! Mm. Oh my God! What's happening with the prisons? Mm. They're they're mm. they're citing Judith Butler mm. on behalf of the defense of uh, men with penises mm. who have mm. raped women. Mm. Um, uh, and you've become aware of the enormous apparatus of power that you're up against. Mm. Um, it's still constrained where they have to. Allow you to continue to operate mm. as a, uh, as a, you know, as a tenured professor. Um, but how do you? It's clear that the powers that be have decided. Um, there's the idea that maybe they can uh, be restrained by democratic politics. Uh, but you're just a guy and a few other guys and. <laughs> Right, like how, many girls as well. How, yeah. yeah, no, uh, and other people. How do you feel about that prospect? Right, um, well, because yeah. there's the, yeah. there is the there is what the majority believes, and then mm. there's also the truth. And mm. so those two things are both powerful. Mm. But the truth in itself actually doesn't prevail on its own. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm sort of I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, uh -huh. So I think, and for Britain at least. Now, if I was in New Zealand, as I say, I'm from New Zealand, so I I, I look at those, uh, you know, so what's happening there. I mean, it's much, you know, very, very grim, and I think I'd be incredibly pessimistic. And, what, and I'm very glad to be in Britain. Um, uh, I think it says a lot, speaks a lot about sort of British democratic culture, uh, that you can have these sort of discussions in ways that you can't in many other English-speaking countries, or right. all other English-speaking countries. But I, so I, I, on the other hand, Britain is... Uh, uh, Police are investigating people. For yes, the police is, yes, the police is. Yes, the police is 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 yeah. And, 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 so, so yeah. Britain is this yeah. kind of cradle of uh, liberty and mm. Anglo-American governance, but at the same time, they don't have First Amendment, and they are investigating people. Yes, for yes, that's true. Yes, yes. So <laughs> the, the police are a kind of exception, but I think the media, are, yeah. Yeah, but on the other hand, you yeah. have you have a prime minister with the courage, apparently yes. takes courage to do this. <laughs> to say the women don't have Exactly. Yes. And this is this is going to be an important political question. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. But, going into yeah. the future, mm. do women have mm. penises? Yes. And everybody has yeah. to be asked this, mm. and they have to stand and be counted. Mm. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But also, there is, at this point, there's also kind of a large number of people who are vested, you know, actually physically, yeah. in sort of transgender. And you can see now, now that there's been some successful pushback in Britain, you can see among the transgender activists, there's a, you know, there's a kind of genocidal rhetoric. You know, they're they're going to kill us. They're gen it's a genocidal. You know, this is, you know, we're, we're subject to genocide. You know, there will they'll be tweets for saying, you know, all my trans friends, we have kind of go bags. Yeah. You know, or we're thinking about where do we flee? You know, we're, yeah. we have, we're fleeing from the genocide. Um, so you, you do have, you know, you Because they have conditioned their existence on the, uh, on, Access to women's private spaces, exactly, yes, sports. Yes, if we don't yeah, get these things, yes, that is genocide. Yes, and in some sense, I mean, there is some sense in which, you know, of course, it's absurd, but it's also some sense true because their social or their social life depends on that. Their sort of social identity, their social because behavior. if they're truly yeah. recognised as the sex that they claim to be, then all of those things come naturally to them. Yes, exactly. Yes, and yes. and the denial of that recognition 
is the, the annulments mm. of their identity claim, mm. and if their identity claim is the seat of their selfhood, right? Exactly, that debt. It's socially, in effect, yeah, not literally, but 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 yeah. And I think yes, and I think so. And so we we the 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 Western world make promises to them, mm. exactly. And of course, I mean, many of them have transitioned on the NHS, and explicitly, you know, the NHS says uh, public health system in Britain, you know, we're going to give you these uh, medical treatments, but as a result, you, you know. You can you will go into the woods if you're a man. You know you're going to have estrogen, maybe genital surgery, and you have the right to go into the woods. In fact, even I've heard that sometimes they will say if somebody is, you know, even before they've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, they'll say to a man, you know, a young man, um, we'll try using the woods toilets and see, you know, does that feel good for you? And if it does, then you know maybe you have gender dysphoria. So in some sense, the the, the NHS has sort of told people that they can. Uh, transition, they have a right to do so, and so of course they, you know, if you if you've invested years and years of your life in this process, have had surgeries and you know taken drugs for, for you know, of course you're going to say, well, what? you know, like I was promised, I was given this promise by the state, by this publicly funded health system, and now there are a group of people who are wanting to take that away from me. So you can see why they are, are so, um, you know, uh, that, that feels so so uh, bitter to them. So the, the, the die-ins and the stuff that are happening in the U.S., is that happening here? or uh, Not quite so much. Um, yeah, there have been some protests and so on, but, but, um, and there have been some quite, quite aggressive protests against, um, for example, there was a showing of a film, Adult Human Female, uh, not the Matt, Matt Walsh one, but the, the, yes. the film, in Edinburgh, and it, they've, they've tried to show it a couple of times in Edinburgh, and both times, there's, uh, in the University of Edinburgh, and both times are sort of students and staff and, and sort of queer allies from outside the university have managed to shut it down. So, right. um, but unfortunately, you know, we don't have the kind of access to guns. We don't have the kind of extreme violence of, of uh, in America, the sort of cultural violence. But I, I you know, do worry when I look at these Twitter, my Twitter tweets by trans activists, I think, you know, they, you know, it does look like they're kind of, they are creating kind of a fear, which ultimately, mark, you know, it's hard to see how it won't end up in, in some kind of violence. Um, so, so there is this, you know, an, an, an inadvertent advantage that they've uh, a, obtained is through the, um, the, you know, there is this shattering stupidity of having to organize around the idea that women don't have penises, mm, mm, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, yes. but they have fully committed to the shattering exactly. stupidity yes, yes. that women uh, do have penises, yes. yeah. right? Um, and, uh, but, it, but, but it's very hard to not think that it's beneath your dignity to have to take mm, a stand mm. and also risk everything mm, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. on behalf of that proposition. Mm, mm. And yet, um, it, we're rapidly, uh, we, we're rapidly approaching the moment where, 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 where no resident of the Western world will not be able, will, will have to take a stand. Why not take a stand mm, on that. Mm, mm. And, there's, and there's this Twilight Zone-like unreality and mm, absurdity mm, about that. Mm. But uh, but 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 you got there a little bit earlier. I got there a little more recently, and but everyone will get there mm, exactly soon yes, enough. Yes, and perhaps, as a matter of certainty, yeah, there's no yes, way we can avoid it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And perhaps there's sort of a messy compromise possible. Maybe you know, maybe there's a messy compromise. We say, well, this type of you know, like we won't put the rapists in women's prison. 
but maybe if you're a man and you've committed some crimes which are non-violent, you've had genital surgery, maybe, you know, personally, I wouldn't agree with that policy, but, you know, you could say, well, maybe, you know, that there could be some cases or maybe, you know, there, there are different rules for toilets for as for prisons or, you know, so there could be a compromise. But what is interesting is that the trend, you know, if I was, if I was a trans woman, I yeah. would not be pushing for rapists to be in those prisons, right? I know that that is the worst thing we could do. Or again, and also going after very young, you know, children, you know. And yet, the transgender movement there, there are there are some transsexuals who are kind of more moderate and we're looking for compromise and, and, and perhaps even agree more on our side. And some transsexuals at this conference, but there's such a tiny minority, you know. And of yeah. course, they're they're stigmatized by their own community and they face skepticism perhaps from our community as well. So they uh, you know feel very sorry for them. But um, there's just so few uh, who are willing to sort of come out and sort of say, well, you know, different ideas are possible or maybe we shouldn't be luminizing children or I, I transitioned as an adult and I'm happy, but I don't want children. You know, adults can do that, but not children. So, but these moderate voices are very, very, uh, very atypical in the transgender community, unfortunately. Yes, but because it exists as a community by, by virtue of this of this. Activist agenda. Yes, exactly. Yes, it, yes. it doesn't exist otherwise. Yes, it's, and I think yeah. it's an anomalous practice. Exactly. Yes, that on the gray in a gray area of medicine. Mm-hmm. That's what it was until very recently, mm-hmm. and there are people who put themselves through that, mm-hmm. and to manufacture them as uh, a coherent, protected class involved torturing the meaning of all those things, mm-hmm. but. It also had this tremendous utility, is what turned mm. out to be the case. Exactly. Yes. Because real populations, real marginalized populations, have actual needs that may not coincide with, you know, what the what the board wants to do. Mm. Mm. This is entirely a creation of the board, mm. and so they're entirely at the sufferance of the board, mm. Mm. right? And 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 thus, to be this is to be the activist. Mm. Mm. Now that doesn't always turn out to be the case, right? Yeah, and, and and then people transition, and you have figures like Richie. They're just normal people. Yes, yes. You know, in the end, you have you know, th- th- there's colloquial reality that that, that ends up reassert- reasserting itself mm. because it is a, quoti- a quotidian phenomenon. Mm. We have a group of people who have been persuaded that uh, removing their genitals is not the most extreme mm. act of violence you mm. could commit against mm. yourself. Or another person, mm, mm. they see it as the next step in a treatment path mm. because medical doctors are telling them yes. that that's what it is. Yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Mm. and um, and that turns out not to rest on any evidence. Mm. Mm. Yes, the most incredible thing. Mm. Uh, okay, so do you have a last sort of? Um, concluding statement or anything else? Uh, well, just a uh, last, I mean, uh, maybe just to, to mention a last project that I have uh, engaged in research on is on the 2020 census in England and Wales. Yeah. They um, they asked a question about gender identity. The question was extremely badly formulated. Yeah. And uh, I actually was planning to write a paper about suicide rates and imprisonment rates based on this data, which was came out in January. And I wrote the paper over Christmas. When I looked at the data in January, I knew that the data were wrong. Yeah. So it turns out that, well, to cut a long story short, the question was so confusing, it was answered. So the question is, is your gender identity the same as your sex registered at birth? So the reason why that question was created was to sort of pander to transgender activists. Right, you should, I mean, if you wanted to find out transgender population, you just say, are you transgender? Yeah. Right? That's, that's, and then people who are transgender will say yes, and then you can ask them, you know, what sort of transgender, trans man, non-binary, whatever. That's good. 
get more detail on the classification. If you're not transgender, you say no. If you don't understand what it is, you're going to go to say no either because if you ask me something I don't know what it is, I probably am not it. But instead of that, they use this incredibly vague question which assumes there's a gender identity, assumes that sex is registered birth. And, um, and what I discovered is that what the best predictor of transgender status, according to this question, is whether you're English, whether you don't speak English proper, uh, very well. And so there's this massive contamination of data in the census. And I've now got the Office for National Statistics to actually now do investigate, do an investigation on the data that they've produced. So it's sort of contamination of everything, including the very statistical reality which you use, not just for social science purposes, but also to allocate funding. Yeah. So local government will allocate funding because what alerted me to the problem is that all the places with the highest transgender population were the places with lots of immigrants, one of which place I live here. So lots of Muslim immigrants, uh, according to the census, one in 67 Muslims is transgender. Right. Now that's so obviously absurd. We know that one in 67 Muslims is not transgender. Um, and, but, and yet they will have real consequences because local governments in the areas with high immigrant populations will say, we've got a lot of trans you know, population, we need to have fund more and more uh, trans services and so on for these kind of completely non-existent populations. So that's an example of the way that the very kind of statistics on which government and society is run are sort of contaminated by very strong activist agendas. So this giant twilight zone like unreality is just going to repeat itself over and over again and in ways that ultimately end up to the detriment of children, of women, mm, yes. and of the functioning society. Yes. Well, well, I mean, I, there, there's no way that it, like, you know, this is this is a complete absurdity. Mm. Um, but it's it's just a taste of what's to come. Well, or more optimistically, <laughs> it'll be a high peak, and then it'll, you know, the more, maybe either we'll get a rolling back, or we'll have a kind of some sort of messy compromise where neither side is particularly happy, but it's kind of a more sustainable equilibrium. But do people recognize? People recognize the absurdity, uh, do, do they not? Absurdity of, of, of what you just described? Well, of that outcome? Of, that, uh, uh, of the messy compromise? No, no. Of the, 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 the finding, the... the, the oh, um, I think, I mean, it was widely reported in the, in the, in the, in the sort of the conservative uh, press. The Guardian, yes. interestingly enough, never, you okay. know, never contacted me or, to, or even critiqued it. Yeah. And also, even trans, you know, sort of the, the activists who are very pro-trans or academics who are very pro-trans, they never commented on it. So they could have said, he's wrong. And I wasn't even sure before I got all the data whether I was right. I was like, this doesn't ring true to me. Uh, but of course, I could be wrong, you know. And it could, people would say, oh, there might be you know, transgender refugees who are in these areas. You know, it didn't mean to do it, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm not omniscient. I might be wrong. But they never engaged with the argument. They just simply kind of ignored, ignored it. You are about to embark upon the great crusade. The old myth. The eyes of the world are upon you. Not class in theory. I saw it happen. And then begin to inculcate our babies. Do you have a martyr complex? Let me tell you, we all make... Do you have a militant attitude relative to the area of civil rights? Your task will not be an easy one. The road ahead will be long. We're going to make sure that society wins.